0: Anyone who lived outside of the United States or even outside the West in general can testify to the fact, people such as myself, we can testify to the fact that there are a whole lot of choices in the West that you would not get in probably 90% of the world. I mean, choices about everything. And often when we have so many choices... It can be confusing. There is an old story that uh, I read this week, in fact, um, about how not only confusing, but sometimes can be irritating when you have so many choices. And uh, let me read to you part of that dialogue, and it's a dialogue between a former prime minister of England by the name of Asquith with a butler in the Rothschild mansion where he, back in the 19th century, was invited to come And spend a few days. And one afternoon, the butler was serving Prime Minister Asquith. And here's how the dialogue went. The butler asked, tea, coffee, or a piece of fruit, sir? He said, tea, please. He said, China, India, or Ceylon, sir? Asked the butler. He said, China. Lemon, milk, or cream, sir? He said, milk, please. He said, Jersey, Harford, or Cherthon, sir? He said, just the milk that comes out of the cow. (laughs) The reason some young people get into trouble is because they have never been trained to choose well. When I was growing up, and my parents, I think, overdid it, went to the other extreme that you find in our culture today, in trying to get me to choose well and choose wisely, and felt kind of oppressed like a lot of young teenagers feel. And I said, I could not wait to just leave home and be free as a bird, and I do what I want to do instead of constantly have my parents teaching me how to choose wisely. And um, at the age of 19 and 20, I was totally alone in strange countries, and nobody even knew that I existed, and I could have gone either way, and I could have made horrible choices. But that godly upbringing, together with the hand of God, helped me to make wise choices. I think sometimes parents innocently give their little ones choices when they have not yet trained them to choose well, when they have not yet given them wisdom to choose what is right, and what is good. I hear parents sometimes, whether they intentionally or unintentionally, they they say, well, you know, kids are kids, and they've got to sow their wild oats, and I say, please stop. Do you understand that there is a harvest to this sowing of wild oats? There's a harvest with those choices you don't want. Giving children freedom to choose before giving them wisdom to choose is a terrible mistake. I'll never forget when our eldest daughter was two years old, and I was going for a walk with one of my church elders back in Sydney, Australia. This man was just a kind, gentle, sweet spirit, and God has just given him and his wife oodles of wisdom. And we were about to go for a walk together, and I was taking my two-year-old with me. And I turned around and asked her, I said, do you want to walk, or do you want to sit on the stroller? And this dear man just whispered in my ear, and he said, don't give your baby a choice before you have trained her to choose well. You see, all of life, all of life is made up of series of choices. You and I are choosing all day long. Learning to choose wisely and learning to choose that which is good, learning to choose obedience to God, learning to choose that which is for our ultimate blessings, learning to choose that which is not fading and passing, learning to choose that which is lasting and everlasting can take time. And sometimes few stumbling along the way. Why is choosing wisely so important? Why is it so important for anybody at any age, for all of us? Listen carefully. Because our choices determine the quality of life, our choices determine the circumstances. Because Our choices can even determine our success or failure in life, because our choices can mean either we're going to live a life of contentment, or we're going to live a life of misery. In fact, contentment itself is a choice. Obedience to Christ is a choice. We choose whether we're going to walk by faith or not. We choose whether we're going to spend time with God or not. We choose whether we're going to be in prayer or not. We choose whether we feed upon the Word of God or not. We choose whether we're going to witness to Christ in our lives and in our surroundings and in our neighborhoods and our workplaces or not. We choose whether we live for Christ or live for self. We choose whether we place God first and foremost in our lives or somewhere down near the bottom. Life is a series of choices. In fact, I remember reading some time ago when John F. Kennedy was running for president and a reporter kept harassing him and said, Why do you choose to run for president? Very simply, he said, because that's where the power is. That's where the power is. You see, today the Scripture tells us about a man who did not run for office. (laughs) He did not go after power. But power came to him. He had all the power at his disposal. He had unprecedented prestige. He had vast possessions. And yet, he deliberately and decisively turned his back on all the power, and all of the prestige, and all of the wealth of, that, of Egypt. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews eleven twenty-five. By faith, Moses chose... Here's that word again. Chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short period of time. I think if Moses lived in our day, I am absolutely convinced... He would have been called a fool. He would have been called eccentric. He would have been called crazy. He would have been called nuts or all of the above. For to turn his back on untold wealth, to turn his back on an unprecedented prestige by any standards. Why? For something better? (laughs) No. No so that he may suffer with a bunch of slaves. That's considered foolishness back then. It's considered foolishness today. Because here's what our logic, here's what we would have probably thought, and here's what we would have probably advised Moses. We would have said, now, Moses, just play it safe until you get to the throne of Egypt. When your grandpa died and you become the Pharaoh, just play it safe. Because Moses, imagine what you can do how much you can accomplish with that power. Moses, just imagine how much you can help your people when you become the Pharaoh. Imagine, Moses, just how many people you can help with all this money. <laughs> You've heard that before. Imagine. Think about your place in history, Moses. I mean, think about this. You could have a pyramid named after you. Wow. Our logic would have said to him, Moses, don't waste your education. Don't waste your training. Don't waste your talent, Moses. Don't waste this golden opportunity of becoming rich and famous. How many of you agree that had Moses gone into that place of power, he could have done a lot of good? Yeah, of course he could. Of course he could. (laughs) <laughs> there was a little problem here. <laughs> Just a little, well, it's a big problem. <laughs> big little problem. It was not God's ultimate plan for his life. Now, some of you here probably in a situation where right now you're walking in a time of puzzlement in your life. Some of you here probably in a situation where you're confused at, about what's going on and and why you're going through the circumstances you're going through, and that most of them are really not out of your own doing. And and there are some of you here probably right now thinking that I have something in my life that just does not make sense. Now, beloved, listen to me. If you have placed your life and your future and your family and your business in the hand of God... God will take you to the place where His plan is to be found. You have God's Word on it. There is no doubt that Moses' parents believed that God had a special plan for his life. And so, by faith, they risked their own life to have Him. Moses was supposed to be aborted by a decree of Pharaoh. All Hebrew boys were supposed to be aborted as soon as they are born by a decree from Pharaoh. But by faith, his parents went through the birth. By faith, they hid him for three months. By faith, they placed the basket in the river Nile near Pharaoh's palace. By faith they trusted that Pharaoh's daughter is going to come out at that time and she will take pity on the boy and then adopt the boy. By faith they believed that God will protect their boy from the occultist paganism of Egypt. By faith they entrusted their baby to God. Listen, like all parents, we all worry about our children. We all do, and that's a fact of life. But listen to me, once you have instructed your children in the Word of God, once you have laid the foundation in their hearts and lives, you must trust them to God. By faith, Moses' mother, Jacob nursed her son for five years, and she got paid for it by Egyptian taxpayers. And <laughs> not that great? No doubt Moses' parents fed him Upon the Word of God, upon the promise of God that was transmitted, which we've been seeing, that promise went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph and to Joseph's sons, and then on and all the way down to Jacob. no doubt she passed those promises of God. Yes, back yonder 400 years, God promised our forefather Abraham that he will take us out of the land of slavery, that he will take us to the promised land, and God will keep his Word. And all of that was fed to him from the year three months to five years old. Here in Hebrews eleven twenty three 23 to 29, the author of the epistle to the Hebrews wants us to know one thing, and it is this, that faith in God, and faith in God's plan for your life, and faith in God's purpose in your life, cause Moses to turn his back on prestige to turn his back on pleasures and to trust and believe in the promise of God what that prestige was like back then well to be called the grandson of pharaoh even though he was adopted was the most prestigious position in the entire world at that time listen this was not just any palace of of just another ruler. I mean, this was the wealthiest, the most cultured, the most advanced, and the most powerful country on the earth at the time. And so for 40 years, Moses was pampered. He was educated. He was trained. He was a powerful man in the palace. And as soon as he celebrated his 40th birthday, he had to make a choice. He had to make a decision. He came at a crossroad. I know I've been to a bunch of them in my life. This is a moment of decision. This is a moment of choice, clear choice. Will he become a pharaoh and sits on the throne of Egypt? Or will he obey the purpose of God in his life and the plan of God in his life and liberate his people from slavery? Will he choose prestige or will he fulfill God's purpose in his life? Will he choose power with man or will he choose power with God? Will he choose the fading fame of this world, or would he choose the fabulous crown of righteousness in heaven? Which one will you choose? According to the world and the world standards, it would have said this Moses sacrificed everything for nothing. But let me tell you what God says Moses sacrificed nothing for everything. Listen to me. Had Moses gone the other way, we may never heard of him. Well, you know, we may we've known him as one of the pharaohs, one of the many mummies that they keep picking up and digging out of Egypt. You know, and it probably he would be an obscure one. Beloved, don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. God promised to honor those who honor Him. I think the question that every one of us must ask ourselves, and you must ask yourself today, do we seek the honor that society gives us, or do we seek the honor that God gives us? Let me warn you, if you say, I choose the honor that God gives, let me tell you that it comes with a price tag, that it is not cheap to choose the honor that God gives never is cheap. Because people will call you names. They may falsely accuse you. They may mock you and ridicule you. They may reject you and despise you. But the only prestige that is worth the word prestige is only the prestige that comes from the hand of God. Moses not only turned his back on wealth, prestige, and power. He turned his back on pleasures. The pleasures of the world can feed our egos. The pleasures of the world can satisfy our desires. The pleasures of the world can fulfill our appetites. Let's not kid ourselves. There's two things that you must know about the pleasures of the world. Number one, they're not lasting. They're fading fast. Never last. Verse 25 says, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin in a society that values instant gratification, in a society that caters to instant gratification, in a society that exalts instant gratification, it is not easy to choose, let alone to teach the younger generation to choose that which is lasting and everlasting. I want to submit to you today that the pressure on us particularly on the younger generation, just as great as it was on Moses, with the media bombardment, the complicities by some church leaders and Christian leaders, the silence on the part of some church leaders, the neutral attitude on the part of some pastors and ministers and preachers and teachers that are far from encouraging us to walk by faith. But like Moses, who had a choice… Every one of us have a choice. Like Moses, he could have obeyed or disobeyed God. We too have that choice. We know that it is much harder to have those things and then walk away from them than if you never had them. Now listen, it was easy for me to be in a walk of faith when I had a car that I pushed it more than I drove it. Oh yeah. You see, it's harder to walk by faith when God prospered you. It's harder to walk by faith. It's harder to turn your back on these things. And that's exactly what Moses did. Listen to me. To choose to sacrifice, to choose to give up comfort and ease, to choose to give up wealth and prestige, to choose to turn your back on power and plenty, can be only called an act of faith And only God can give you that. You cannot conjure it. You cannot do it by gritting your teeth and you're trying hard. God can give you the gift of faith. That can only be done by obedience, and God can give you that. That can only be done by trusting, trusting that doing what God wants you to do, not what you want to do, is immeasurably better in the long run. You know, when they discover King Tut's tomb... You may have seen it on television. I was privileged to see it in real life. Tut was hundred years after Moses or so, give or take a few years. And, and you just look at the fabulous amounts of gold that he took to the tomb with him. And it gives you an idea of the fabulous wealth that Moses turned his back on. King Tut wanted to hang on his riches, and he took all the gold with him to the tomb. But you know, and I know, it didn't do him any good. But Moses, by faith, he looked forward 1,500 years down the road that the Messiah will come and that God will fulfill His promise to His forefather Abraham. Moses chose to be faithful to God's plan and to God's vision for his life. He chose to be faithful to God's plan of salvation for humanity rather than a fleeting moment of pleasure. He chose to be an instrument of God's deliverance than a few pounds of gold and silver that he's going to leave behind anyway. Here's the truth. God's rewards are always better than the world's. Always. You can have God's Word on it. God's rewards are always greater than the world's. God's rewards are always eternal and not temporal. Psalm 37, 16 said, Better is little Of the righteous than the abundance of many a wicked. What choices do you make? What choices do you make? Are all of your choices focused on this life? Are all of your accumulations are here on earth? Are all of your choices having to do with playing it safe? in this life, and never take a risk for God? Are all of your choices having to do with fear of rejection and staying in your comfort zone? Are all of your choices having to do with this earthly life, or are you storing up treasures in heaven? Jesus said, only in heaven the rust and the termites will not affect your treasure. And I'm going to tell you this story as I conclude. It's always been a great encouragement to me. I read it many years ago. There was this man from the Midwest. He and his wife served the Lord so faithfully for 40 solid years in Africa. He literally gave of himself completely and without reservation for Christ. And then he was coming home at the end of his ministry, at the end of his time. And he was on the boat from England to New York. On that same boat was President Wilson. He was returning from an overseas trip. And as they got to the New York harbor, there were crowds, hundreds, probably thousands of people welcoming the president back. Signs, welcome back, President Wilson. Music was playing, festivities. And as Mr. Morrison looked over, there was not a solitary person waiting for him to thank him for what he has done for Christ. Being a human being like all of us, he took it hard. He began to feel sorry for himself. And then he got on a train to head for Ohio. And as he was sitting there feeling just not one person saying thank you. Not one. He heard the voice of the Lord on that train. He said to him, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Father, we thank you that we're not home yet. And it's only when we get home, when we're here, Well done. And Father, I pray that you, in your mercy and in your grace, daily remind us that our citizenship is not here, that our home is yet to come. And Father, that is what life is all about. We thank you that this is a dress rehearsal and that we are on our way home. In Jesus' name, amen.